recorded at the Hen House Rehearsal Studios. It's the Mission Control Podcast. Hey everybody, we are back. I'm in the room with Aram Wilson. How are you doing, Aram? Yeah, yeah, good. A little, <laughs> bit, a little bit shaky being on a Sunday, but it's good to have this waking me up. A <laughs> little bit crispy. Johnny's here as well. Yeah, I'm back. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Apart from this morning. I'll get, um, it's 10.30 this morning. I'm driving out of my street and the four-wheel drive comes down the street, hits a, going around a roundabout, two wheels up on one curb and then swings past and hits the other two wheels on the other curb, fucking flying down. <laughs> This car's coming out of the car park, has a slam on his brakes while his four-wheel drive slides past. I'm like, what the hell? That could have actually been my Uber. <laughs> he was shaky at best. <laughs> That's crazy. So the last, that time the last the thing you expect to see at 10.30 on the Sunday morning is a four-wheel drive up on two wheels. He's probably just driving home from yeah. having, having Daniel Ricciardo's uh, round of four-wheel <laughs> Speaking of like bad Uber, have you had a bad Uber drive before? Oh, of course, yeah. 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 Seems to be pretty common. A lot of people are like bringing that up, and it, I've had a couple of bad experiences. One dude was, I swear, he was on coke, and he was smoking a cigarette while having a <laughs> chat on the phone on hands free, <laughs> while constantly just sniffing at nothing, just, and he was doing like eighty in like fifty zones, and I'm like, I'm gonna fucking die. But it's like, do you have his number? Like, I actually want this with the driver. It sounds amazing. <laughs> well, he'll get you there on time. That's for yeah, sure. exactly. <laughs> Do you give bad ratings? Are you a bad rating person? Yeah, I think yeah. I think you've got to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, like I, I, the Uber thing has made everything so much easier. But it's just funny how little people know about the streets in Perth. You know, like it's yeah. uh, everyone relies on Google Maps so mm. much now, and and the the sat nav that they use for Uber seems to have some weird directions as well. So we just kind of follow it blindly, and then yeah, yeah. I've had a guy just literally do circles. Yeah. And just blindly following the map, well, which that, I've done as that's well. That's it. But. You can see it as, of mm. course, it's arriving, and, and we're watching him just like doing log laps. Kind <laughs> yeah. of thing. What, what are you doing? One star for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I tend to be like a, a backseat navigator. Like yeah. I'll sit there. I can sort of see their Google Maps of where yeah. they're going, and I just like I know there's another street. Like, hey, dude, take a take a left up here. And so they'll be, like, oh yeah, okay, and I'll do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I know where I'm going most of the time when I'm in Perth, but I just have Google Maps open anyway. I think it's just like a habit now. I know exactly where. Well, like, it has traffic reports. That's the only good thing about. Yeah. It. Oh, what what happened to the days of having that that big phone book in the back, like behind your seat? <laughs> oh, I'm lost. You got to pull out the the actual map. The actual map. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or stop at the service. <laughs> the director. <station>. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what's been going on then? Uh, yeah, just just super busy as always. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, it's, um, I don't know, I, I think you've got to be as busy as you can when you can. Mm-hmm. You know, we've, uh, we don't have kids, so we're kind of delaying that until we feel like we've done enough to, to support our, our kids in the right way. So at the moment, that just consists of not having much sleep and, and yeah, working a billion jobs, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And doing a billion things that uh, you love as well, I think is important. Yeah. It makes it not feel like work as such. Yeah, you just have to have your finger in a million pies, I think, to get by. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. it, because so many of those pies, are uh, there's no meat in them. And, <laughs> and it's difficult to sustain yourself without the correct sustenance um, yeah. in those. So, you know, it's almost like taking a gamble and, and kind of uh, taking a bite out of everything and seeing what tastes really good, and but also gives you that, that um, yeah, let's, let's be honest, dollars, I guess, at yeah. the end of the day, you know, you can only do... So much for passion without kind of uh, keeping you inspired because you're on the breadline. Like you have to have to uh, kind of punt yourself into as many things. I think. Do you find you're at that level now? 
kind of where where you can you you kind of you can afford to be a bit more selective about what you're involved in and things like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I I'm lucky in terms of I I have a full time job at Wham, so uh, that is you know like it's a, a decently paying job and it's one that I love, one that I'm learning in. So. Um, Really happy with that, but it also allows me some time to kind of branch off and do the other things that I love. Mm. So um, many of those are unpaid, but um, I'm lucky enough to to do some some good paid stuff that allows me to you know continue doing my passion. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. like DJing. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's uh, so that that is why my voice might be a little bit crackly today. <laughs> so I apologise, but. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I DJ pretty much every Saturday um, for five hours and then, uh, yeah, a couple of Fridays and Sundays here and there. And, and certainly that's one thing that allows me to combine my, my love of, of bad music, let's be honest. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> What's the stuff do you spin? Uh, well, uh, kind of a little bit of everything. It's, uh, so, so it's at the Northbridge Brewing Co. is my usual Saturday. And, and I guess like my, my, my close friends, it's not necessarily a place that they go to a lot. But when I went there, I didn't really have uh, the greatest of expectations. But they're just like, yeah, play what you want, you know, and make it fun. And so it allowed me to, to rip out my uh, bad love of cheesy 80s and, and uh, you know, 70s disco and, and all that kind of stuff as well as playing, I don't know, house and rock and really mm. whatever. So, yeah, no it's, it's a really as, fun gig. No such thing as bad 80s music in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no guilty pleasures there. I love everything 80s. You just got away with anything in the 80s, man. You could wear a leotard and high heels. No one would bat an eyelid. New York Dolls, remember them? Yeah, yeah. They were pretty much in drag. Yeah. And they got away with it. And then you looked at their audiences and they were like these, you know, mega sort of bogan uh, dudes that would probably punch you if you wore that outside <laughs> of, of the venue. But they were, you know, loving it. And, yeah. and, and what happened to that? Now someone wears it and we should be in this age of, of equality and acceptance and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. it's, it's almost worse. Like. I may try that. Now that, if you insist, I, I will wear, wear a leotard at my next gig. Well, let's be honest, this is on radio, so I should reveal that these guys are wearing leotards and high heels. As am I. Let's, spandex, let's get it all yeah. out there. <laughs> Little spandex. Why not? How long have you had your dreads for? Uh, a lady never reveals her age. Or her hair. <laughs> that, is, that is an amazing bundle of dreadlocks. Yeah, it's... Uh, I don't think I've ever seen you without dreadlocks. I don't even know a time... Do you know when people have dreadlocks for so long and you can't remember a time when they didn't have them? Like you. Yeah. John, John actually had dreadlocks. He had a yeah. similar to your length, I think. And yeah. then it took you about a year to realise who he was after that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, look, I, I've, I think I'm pretty much sitting on my two-decade mark, wow. which is oh, a ridiculously long. long time. And the problem with it, because I've gone to cut them a, a heap of times, and, and when I first got, got dreads, it was, it was mainly because I just have really bad hair and I can't style it. So, so I'm just like, well, at least I'll get dreads and I don't have to worry about it and done. But it turns out the joke was on me because it's actually more effort to keep them. And it's quite expensive as well. And, and it's just painful. It's like giving birth mm. to a bad haircut every time I go in and get them re-dreaded. <laughs> Um, and, and yeah, I guess the, the more that you invest, the more time into them, it becomes more difficult to get rid of them because, A, uh, people just kind of 
I guess, recognize you for it. So part of the reason why I have it is just so that my partner can find me on the dance floor or, uh, or at, a, at a festival or whatever. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. like a lighthouse beacon. Um, and without that, I probably wouldn't hang out with her that much uh, on the weekends. Yeah, yeah, It's cool. like t- Tim Nelson and his afro. It's exactly. Like it yeah. 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 So what, I went through three sets of dreads. Yeah, right. Last set was uh, 12 years. Um, do you, how much do you reckon they weigh? Not sure. They they weigh a shot ton when they're when they're wet. Yeah, well, um, when you get out of the shower, just like a, a weight. Yeah, you feel it? yeah, yeah. There's quite a process involved, as you would probably know. But mm. you know, like I've got uh, the first the turban, as we call it, uh, that yeah. goes up for about. 20 minutes and then uh, change towels for the next turban and wear that for about half an hour and then uh, blow dry. We have a insanely hot uh, blow dryer, so that's a tip. Because if you wash them, because um, you have to wash them a lot, like the common misperception that of dreads. That was a big is, thing, yeah. It's like, oh, you got dreads, you don't wash them. Like, that must be yeah. filthy. Like, no. I, I, I used to shampoo, condition every night. My dreads were clean. Every <laughs> night. <laughs> yeah, look, I'm, I'm not that extreme, but, but every two to three nights yeah. for, for sure. And uh, But you can't wash them unless they're completely dry because then they become smelly. It's like yeah. having, a, having a wet towel and you have a shower again and then it starts to smell that kind of dank, dank smell. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, th- there's an art behind it, or at least I'm making an art. <laughs> Because they're like sponges, the right? They just absorb water and they hold on to it. One of the one of the best things for for my dreads was actually when they stopped allowing smoking in venues, because yeah, okay. you would come out and and it would just sponge up like uh, like I've probably had about ten packets of cigarettes in my hair. That was probably the weight was uh, <laughs> all the nicotine in them. <laughs> the it's so much lighter now. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that was the first thing that you noticed when you cut them was how light your head felt. Oh, yeah. Just like a weight, literally. So, I mean, I used to throw my head around anyway, playing on stage with dreads. But then when you get rid of them, you're just like, wow, like you feel that sort of weightiness. Mm. But I still got that tiny little bit of regret. Like I still have them. Yeah. I got them in a box. They're wrapped (laughs) up in Pandora's box. (laughs) Like these big rolls of dreads. Mm -hmm. And I I actually one time took them out of the box and put them back on my head. A bit of a nostalgia. (laughs) Like, yeah, I could do it again. (laughs) <laughs> you should make a wig version. Then you can just put it on anytime. Yeah, I was going to stitch it on the inside of my hat. So every time I wear a hat, I've got my dreads on. Yeah, yeah. Rob a liquor store and run it, yeah, take exactly. it off and throw it away. Go out and cause trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. You can't get away with anything with this with this yeah. stupid hair. It's uh, yeah, had to be far more responsible. <laughs> so uh, Tried you, to anyway. you also present on uh, RTR. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, How so long that have would you be been doing that uh, for about fifteen years, I think. Wow. Yeah, almost. Um, so I started off doing morning magazine, mm-hmm. uh, which was uh, yeah, which was a really fun thing. I mean, I'm I'm a journalist um, as well, and and that really inspired my passion for communicating with people, I guess, mm-hmm. and interviewing. It's it's quite weird, I must say, being interviewed. It's like yeah, really? I don't have the control. I'm like <laughs> a, a slight control freak, I guess. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Uh, having the questions, going we don't this have way. control over. Question by the way. one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But but I like I love I love this format because you can just kind of take the hinges off and see where it goes. Usually it's it's an awful train wreck, but sometimes it's not. <laughs> sometimes it's not. Well, see the show that I present now. So then I did drive for a long time, and now I do train wreck. So that's fitting. <laughs> I know all about uh, stuffing up things. <laughs> uh, do you feel it's helped? Do you feel like radio actually helps you in other ways, like just communicating in day to day life? Because I definitely find that with this podcast, I'm a better speaker because um, speaking behind a microphone was always like a phobia for me, to be honest. Mm. So, like, this was almost a way to really put 
myself in the furnace and just feel that fight or flight all the time. Like, so do, do you feel like in day-to-day life it helps you just connect with people as well in other ways? Absolutely. It's one of the most important skills of a great interviewer is just to be able to listen. And a lot of people don't listen enough in life and they miss out on those important you know, important messages, meanings, and uh, points where if they just had listened, then they could have learned and expanded their, their souls as a person, I think, a lot more. And so, certainly, um, being able to listen and to respond to people are two of the most important things, I think, in, in life. You know, conversation. Life is a conversation, and it's, it's how, you, how you communicate with the world around you. So, radio is kind of a, uh, yeah, a, a, a beautiful... Um, symbolic kind of version of that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, did you actually go through any formal training or did you just kind of hop on the mic? Yeah, I, I studied at Murdoch Uni and uh, I... Did you do a it, it wasn't, uh, Yeah, I did. Okay. So a media, media, media degree, degree. So I did a little bit of film, uh, radio journalism. And uh, yeah, I was... I was lucky enough to, I started doing some teaching there and just doing kind of community courses. And so I, I kind of fell in love with, with teaching because that's completely about communicating with people mm-hmm. and yep. and trying to understand the best way to, you know, deliver a message in a way that, that a diverse kind of audience will understand. Um, because, you know, they used to range from, I was teaching everyone from like a Down syndrome person to, you know, 70 year olds. Um, mm. So, yeah, I found that that really interesting and, and love that. And then uh, I kind of started to do some tutoring at uni and then uh, my one of my lecturers uh, was on maternity leave. So I was this, you know, 21-year-old who was suddenly lecturing to 100 people at uni and coordinating a unit and making my own course. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a real learning curve, uh, but, but one that I was just so... So passionate about and and realised that you know that the teaching part of uh, my life was definitely going to be something. So so even at WAM now, I I have about ten interns um, a week, and for me that's really about um, fulfilling that kind of uh, passion um, and also about learning because that's also the the thing that really inspires me is to just to continue evolving as as a person and in my skill sets and um yeah i think interns are, are great for that because you know they're they're at uni and they're studying and so they're aware of you know current trends and and so forth so for me um to be able to kind of ha- have them you know nurture them but as well as learning off them you know for me that's a that's a really good student-teacher relationship because it's breaking down those barriers and, mm. and you know, you're, you're both kind of growing together. People definitely remember good teachers in, throughout their life. Like I had a few in high school that stand out simply because they connected mm. as opposed to just stood up there and taught. Um, they allowed that back-and-forth communication, which I think is really important um, when learning <laughs> or teaching, is that there's this... There's no hierarchy. It's just like a person talking to another person. I think that's where the learning can really start. Absolutely, and and I so so I did ended up doing a teaching degree. I never taught in high schools, but um, but I, I was going to go to London or whatever and and teach. And uh, I the thing that kind of always stood out for me was when I was in year three and. 
and I guess you know, like I was, I was a relatively, uh, let, let's say, full, filled with potential. Uh, but, but that, that's what they'd say, you know, like oh, it's got a lot of potential, but it's just a little. If shit. you just apply, if you <laughs> just apply things themselves. to tell kids when they're young, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and and you know, like I, I probably was at a at a point where I could have, uh, you know, gone gone into a realm where I thought that I was. A little bit better than than people, and I could have become an arrogant little son of a bitch. Um, but luckily, in year three, one of my teachers just pulled me aside, and and she said, you know, like you need to basically you need to pull your head in, and you need to help people, and and you know respond to them in a way not that you know oh I could do that easily, but but you know doing it together, and and yeah, and and I think that that has definitely definitely. <clears throat> so shaped who I am um, in terms of like keeping your keeping your ego in check, but also just just wanting to help people really. Mm. Um, just kind of being selfless, I think. Yeah, and that, that's I think. Shout out to Mrs. Maylands. Yeah, <laughs> see, it's weird. We we remember all our good teachers, right? Do you remember any good teachers growing up, Johnny? Well, I just remember the reason why I suck at maths is because our year ten uh, math teachers wear a G string <laughs> underneath the dress. <laughs> yeah. No, I can't. Was a dude. Not, yeah. <laughs> No, nah, no, it was a very, very stunning, stunning lady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you couldn't, con- you couldn't concentrate. You couldn't, couldn't concentrate. I still remember that ass, yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, all, all the teachers I remember uh, simply opened up. I think my social studies teacher was the best because he would spend the first 10 minutes just having a, a free open chat with the students about current issues. Yeah, cool. And that's where I excelled. But, you know, in areas like math, I just... Couldn't do it. I think um, some people, their, their brains just kind of wired that way to really interpret hard numbers, but I was mm. never that person. But you gave me something to, if you gave me something to talk about, like uh, a film or something, I'd be pretty good at that. But um, yeah, all of my experiences are, I think for everyone, they're shaped really by those negative and positive experiences as a kid. Um, I remember my first show and tell as a kid and I freaked out because, you know, coming from a, Asian background because I only came here when I was kind of like five or six. The idea of speaking to a, a class full of people, like, so how do you feel about this, Daryl? Like, th- that was the first time that I'd been asked that. And I was this kid, like, just freaking out. Like, I didn't feel like what I had to. I, I brought a yo yo, by the way. That was my show and tell. Thing. But I didn't feel like what I had was, like, that special. And so from there on, it really killed my whole perception of talking in front of people. Um, to this day, like I still remember that. Yeah, it's weird how you remember those moments where you were put on the spot and you just shat your pants. Right? Do you have an experience? It's like actually that? Um, when we did we did the voting the other week. Mm. Uh, you know, sometimes they have it at the primary schools. Yeah, yeah. And they had like our one at my old primary school that I used to go to. And so we went there. and I'm walking around the, the primary school, trying to you know remembering bits and pieces. I actually, remember the, the one day that I got caught in the playground, and believe it or not, I was playing kiss chasey, <laughs> and I got. Got in trouble and I got dragged like in front of the whole school during lunchtime and marched down the main corridor. And the big teacher, he's like the the, the tough guy, had the moustache and the big. And he marched me down the um, corridor, stopped me there, turned around and just started like yelling at me, you know, telling me off for playing kiss chasey. And it's in front of the whole school. And I was just fucking. I think I burst into tears that time. <laughs> just like I must have been year three or four, something mm. like that. And I just yeah, like I'll never forget that day. Just getting reamed in front of the whole school. Yeah. So do you think that had a positive or negative effect on you? 
Nah, I still try and chase the girls like that. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't work. Doesn't work anymore. There's, there's several assault charges filed against Johnny, <laughs> yeah. but uh, we won't go into that. We're actually doing this from jail. This. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's funny. Um, I mean, the reason I kind of asked that is because I'm in the uh, having a having a baby mode at the moment, which is actually a dog. Uh, but but you know, it's it's for us. It's it's kind of like having a baby because you've got to put so much time into into training it, and and I think uh, the style of teaching has changed so much, not just for animals, but but for people and that whole negative kind of approach to to you know yelling at your dog and telling them off and getting really angry. Um, our first dog, you know, we were sort of taught to to be firm and and that kind of thing. Whereas now it's more about you know ignoring mm-hmm. and you know all that kind of stuff. But it's quite difficult, of course. You know, mm. does a shite in the lounge room and you're like, uh, <laughs> just going to ignore you. And <laughs> <laughs> that that is anyway. so bizarre when you uh, when you learn to train a dog, you really learn aspects about yourself mm. actually. Because I, I think I know what you're saying, the whole positive, positive reinforcement, reinforcement yeah. now kind of replacing the whole discipline and, yep. um, you know, that hard-handed way of, of teaching. Um, but it's so I, – I took care of a puppy once and it, it freaked me out because I had to let it out every, like, couple of hours. <laughs> and once you, like, allow them to develop a habit, it's just – yeah. Like, as soon as they piss, you've got to clean it up. Otherwise, they'll get used to that idea yeah, that... They, they start controlling your life. It, well, yeah, exactly. I've very much felt under the control of the dog because, <laughs> like, I didn't... But you're right. Um, I, you have to kind of ignore... You can't point out the negative things because then they'll develop a complex about that. Yeah. You know? So it's like... I think it's probably harder to train a dog than a baby, right? You just kind of let babies do their thing. Right? Well, you, you I think <laughs> first it is, but once those habits are, yeah. are kind of developed, but, then. Yeah, yeah. Were you ever smacked as a child? Like, your parents ever give you yeah. a thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah my parents are Asian. <laughs> Fuck yeah, I got the shit kicked out of me. Belt and shit, yeah. <laughs> no, well, I mean, I grew up, you know, my parents used to give us a bit of a belt around the, around the ass and something when we played up. Nowadays, you do that, you, you get in trouble big time for that. Mm. And well, I, I still don't think it's the best way to approach it. Then again, but is at, it the, at the same time, yeah. But when I at the same time I see a mother smack a kid, I'm kind of like on the fence in a weird way. Like I'm mm. like, well, we don't know the context. Maybe that kid's a really shitty kid. Like <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But, but maybe they're a shitty kid because they've been smacked so exactly. many times. Yeah. And, so it's and kind of perpetrating positive yeah, reinforcement. Yeah. 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 But then you have on the other end of the spectrum, um, like we were after uh, a, a really big trip of um, just going to festivals and, you know, destroying our livers kind of thing. And, and so all we wanted to do is, was sleep on this plane back from Perth and, uh, and sorry, back to Perth. And, and this mum, you know, this kid was being a little shit, but the mum was just doing absolutely nothing yeah, about it and, yeah, and yeah. just, you know, trying to calm him with a like, you know, pleasant, oh, why don't you read your book? And why don't you? And, and my mate, uh, uh, Craig Hollywood, shout outs, um, <laughs> he was about to smack the mum <laughs> in this instance because, you know, it was like just that extreme kind of lack of, yeah, of yeah. discipline that, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I think it fits somewhere in between, you know, yeah. and even if it's just uh, using a firm voice or whatever, I don't think you need to physically uh, use that, that sort of discipline. But if you change your tone in voice, you know, people respond to that and, mm-hmm. and as to animals for sure. Yeah, get down on the. I think that's another tactic. You get down on the kids' level and go now. Yeah. Mm. What have I told you about? I don't know. I'd be. Do you think you'd be a good father? Uh yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess that that love of of teaching and nurturing and mm. all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I really look forward to to having children, but 
it's just damn tough sometimes when you you know you're super busy and and I guess there's a lot of sacrifices you have to make when you when you have kids and my mm. partner and I we've been together for for a long time we were kind of got together before most of our close kind of friends did get together with their partners and now it's like we'll kind of rock up to a barbecue or whatever and we're the only ones with kids and it's kind of like oh well like they're missing like we've walked in feeling like we're missing something yeah so now we've got a dog though and it's it's, uh, <laughs> it's fine that's well that still counts that's still definitely oh counts. absolutely yeah 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 I, I don't know i think a lot of people now are thinking of like a lot of people are really considering not having kids as well for various reasons but i think economically i think it's just really tough i think for people to choose between their own career paths and their own growth and uh, having a kid on alongside that um but i've seen it work like i know dudes on tour that have kids and they just make it work that's the thing i I think like anything in life you just you just change uh we're always like oh you know how can we fit it in how can we fit it in but i know people that you know and practically nothing that um you know chasing many dreams or whatever and they have a kid and you know a few things change i probably see them now once every two years <laughs> and that's the other thing i guess we're just like super social people so giving up that kind of element to our lives is uh not something that we're quite prepared to do yet yeah yeah just got to work out now how we can bring our our dog clubbing and uh, he goes to pubs <laughs> quite a bit but <laughs> what breed is it i don't think i've ever seen you out with your dog uh, it's a pomeranian so oh, I, I, pomeranian yeah, wow. yeah he's uh yeah this is this is bad by the way because i was talking with my partner uh because like we've become those so one of the things i you know kind of tend to not make me want to have kids is friends that just all they talk about is their baby you know it's like oh and he you know he pooped in his first potty today and he did this and it's like i really don't want to know about that for the next yeah. you know half an hour but we've become like that with our dog and and this is um this is unfortunate because now proof has been recorded that i'm still talking about the dog yeah. <laughs> this is bad oh, or it's like when 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 two people or, or two groups that have kids are just talking amongst themselves and you have no, like, zero input. Yeah. They're like, oh, wait till they turn two. Yeah, <laughs> you're yeah, just sitting exactly. there going, I watched the YouTube video last night and you just feel like an idiot like, <laughs> next to them, right? <laughs> it feels like the, there's a whole new culture of adopting animals is more accepting than adopting children now. Yeah, well, yeah. Like, people seem to have more respect for animals than they do for people. Well, I, I think it's, uh, I mean, it's easier, A, to, um, and it's not easy to adopt a dog, actually. You've got to generally um, sign a contract saying that you're going to be at home for a month, um, mm. permanently looking after them and all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, when it comes to adoption in Australia, it's actually still really difficult to do. And, um, you know, if you can't have kids biologically y- yourselves, then there's a whole lot of hoops that are just so so sad that, you know, you can't um, adopt some poor child that's living a, a crap life or, or destined for a crap life mm. internationally. And, you know, we, we'd, uh, my partner and I would have talked about adoption and we'd love to, but to be honest, it's just really difficult to mm. do. Um, you can't, yeah. can't just walk down to hospital, oh, I'll take one of them and I'll take one of them. <laughs> or order it on Amazon, yeah. Um, Which is kind of good that you can't because, I mean, some people... It's like a dog, like a lot of people, you know, around Christmas time, obviously, that's that's yeah. when a lot of people buy dogs or get dogs from the pound. And then two months later, the pound is, or the RSPCA is filled with dogs mm. from, They're just you not, know, not prepared households. to have them, really. Mm. Yeah, well, it's just a lot of time and you can't take a baby back to the, <laughs> to the you know, yeah. I want a refund. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the impulse buying of dogs 
um, I think is pretty common. Um, yeah, it's really sad. I, w- I was on, I was very close to doing that as well. Like just out of literally loneliness, going, well, oh, maybe a dog will fill the void. Doesn't Remember, really- you know, um, in LA on on Sunset, mm-hmm. there used to be people that set up the stores with little dogs. You could um, adopt the dog for a day. Oh wow! Okay. Adopt, like take cool. it for a walk and you know just interact with dogs for a day. I did that. Well, we're taking our dog to. Uh, so first off, we did puppy preschool, which was like. Honestly, I think it was about a hundred bucks or something for four sessions. And even if I didn't have a dog, I would have paid a hundred dollars just to go to this thing. Like it was amazing. Like yeah. <laughs> um, that, that sort of uh, just because our, our dog had actually passed away. And so we were feeling really, really upset. You know, I'd had him for, I've had her for 15 years and, um, and getting over that. And it was quite awkward because I went to the vet a week afterwards to pick up the ashes of my old dog and the, the vets really loved, like she was quite a character and quite quite well known, I guess. She was a bit of a personality <laughs> in the, uh, she'd go to work with me every day and um, and then when she passed away, you know, I was walking to work and like I'd get stopped at least, you know, three times a day with like, oh, where's your dog and, and that kind of thing. And anyway, um, and so we went, um, I went into the vets and picked up the ashes and brought him my new dog. So it's slightly <laughs> awkward. Yeah. They're like, who the hell is this? Man, <laughs> you move fast. <laughs> <laughs> Always been like that, though, with relationships as well. It's, uh, <laughs> let's move on. There's no point Next. dwelling on the past, I think, in, in life as a motto. Like, you know, yeah, yeah, something yeah. bad happens, then oh, I'll move on, adapt, and, and kind of kick on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you groom your... Are you one of those people that really groom their dog? Like, immaculately groom their dog? Uh, well, he, he, he's super young. He's four and a half month so yeah. we haven't had to um cut him yet not he's, yet uh, yeah he's got funny puppy hair fluffing out everywhere yeah, yeah. but Pom- he's a pomeranian so it's gonna yeah. be yeah they get quite fuzzball. hairy right yeah 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 it's it's gonna be a little dancing puffball in no time i'd say <laughs> <laughs> i'm more of a cat but i mean uh, we had a dog when we were really young mm-hmm. and it got too big for our apartment so we had to give it to um our grandparents but i've always been a cat person we, see, we've had a bunch of cats now why what does a cat give you that a, that a dog can't? It's the independence, right? <laughs> the satisfaction of just letting it be. Yeah, yeah, they fend for themselves, right? They kind of just do their own thing. Yeah. And I think a lot of people use their cats as like a thermometer for the, like a new person entering their home. Yeah. Like the, the you know. The smell like, test. The, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah, the canary in the, in the coal mine. Yeah. Like, if the cat goes berserk, then that, that guy probably killed somebody. <laughs> like, <laughs> do you think cats can see things that we can't? Oh, absolutely. I think animals, yeah. all animals have that. Our, our old cat used to have this habit of sort of sitting down the hallway and it would stop and just sort of like tilt its head to the side sort of like as it, looking for, looking at something. And I'd be like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> What's it doing? Like, even like when you get the cats, they always jump in like in windows and they're always like looking outside, always just watching things going by. Mm-hmm. Like they are so, you know, attentive to what's going on. Yeah. yeah. So amazing. Like, you know, some dogs are just, you know, attention span of a goldfish yeah back and forth but cats just like they they hone in on things well i'm, I'm kind of allergic to cat fur uh-huh. and c- certain dogs that have a lot of uh what, what do they call it is it dander or like um they they molt really oh, yeah yeah high, like if a, if a dog molts or sheds a lot like i'll get the sniffles pretty easily that was the one thing like that was stopping me from getting a dog so i looked up all these low allergen dog breeds Pomeranians are one of them. Pomeranians are one of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fish is another one. <laughs> we, we had fish in our house, like big um those Oscars, like the Amazon oh, yeah, yeah. fish. Mm. And normally they only grow to like sort of twenty, thirty centimeters. But my dad had like a huge fish tank. These things grew like forty centimeters, like massive big things. And 
you know, like we used to use, you know, Siamese fighting fish, yeah. those real things. We used to have them on a separate tank, sort of inside the tank, where the outside would go outside of the water so you couldn't get in. These Oscars somehow managed to get these, am- <laughs> like would always eat these um, Siamese fighting fish, like suck them out somehow. It's just uh, crazy. They are, they are weird animals. I used to have one that I was looking after um, a, a friend. He kind of he stopped having a fish tank. I think his parents busted him or something. And um, and anyway, uh, one day I walked into my room, and this is like when I'm you know 14 or something. Walked into my room, and there was like dirt all over my bed. And so you know, naturally, I went on into my sister's room, and um, you know, gave her a telling off, uh, disciplining um, in <laughs> for jumping on my bed. And then I was sitting there doing some homework, and I felt like a cool breeze. Went to close the window, and it'd been like ripped open the whole thing. Then I'm like, what the hell? Like, go grab dad and we're searching around to try and find them because this was all in the space of, you know, 10 minutes or whatever when I was having a shower. And it turns out they'd stolen my shoes, which we found them, like, scattered in... Uh, we had a sort of a big property and there was, like, one shoe and then you walked about 50 metres and then there was the other shoe. So, God knows what happened there. And my fish! <laughs> they, they stole my fish! Who does that? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, I've had mm. goldfish. We used to have this old place in Murdoch and... There was a kind of like an outdoor little pond, and we thought, oh, we, we let's get some goldfish and we'll put them in the pond. But we noticed, like day Birds. by day, there'll be yeah, exactly, there'll be one less goldfish. <laughs> Eventually, we put two and two together, and we found out that birds were just swooping in and just eating the goldfish. I was, was working at the tennis <laughs> working at the tennis club one time, and we had um like a little sort of makeshift pond out the back with goldfish in them. And I kid you not, I was at at working at the tennis club, which is about say, 500 metres up the road, up the hill. Mm-hmm. And this kookaburra lands on the tennis court with these goldfish in its mouth, starts smacking itself, eating the goldfish. I'm like, ah, some sucker just lost his goldfish. Got home that, that afternoon and mum's freaking out because um, a bird had come down and swiped the goldfish. <laughs> a kookaburra had come down and swiped the goldfish. And I was just like, I oh, shit you not. That was that kookaburra took our fucking goldfish to work. I <laughs> oh, shit you not. That was amazing. Oh, my God. <laughs> The Mission Control Podcast, brought to you by Hip Flask, the socially networked gig guide made locally, available on the App Store or Google Play, free of charge. Go to hipflaskapp.com. Did you hear there was a, in the UK just a couple of days ago, um, they revealed that there was a show like uh, where they sort of throw them out into the Scottish Highlands and about, you know, 14 people or something and it was a year that they were contracted for, so they had to become completely self-sufficient. Wow. But they did it kind of tactically, so they had, you know, um, I think a doctor was one of the people, or a nurse or something like that, and then there was um, a horticulturalist, and, you know, they'd kind of covered the basis of it. And anyway, apparently they um, they sort of had their, their first month and everything went pretty okay, like there weren't any dramas. Now, of course, dramas on TV is what it's all about, so the show got axed after like four episodes of this thing that was meant to run for a whole year, but they just left the people out there. (laughs) So they didn't even know that no one was watching this show. (laughs) So at least hopefully out of that, they got some some, uh, self-sufficient skills because that's all they would have got. Come back in 10 years and like a big thriving society. (laughs) Yeah. Well, also things like Trump had happened and, yeah, yeah. you know, like uh, Brexit and all these crazy <laughs> shit that they like, they probably felt like they come out of a, into some weird dream. They, in fact, they've probably gone back to go back to the Scottish <laughs> Highlands. <laughs> Fuck this place. This yeah. is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Oh, then we find out they all ate each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But I, I often, not fantasize, but think about what would happen if all of a sudden there was no power or, you know, if, if basically society crumbled, what skills could you bring to the table? And, like, for me, it's zero. <laughs> I don't think a podcast would be that useful when there's no power. <laughs> but um, <laughs> do you think about that? Like, do you ever think about weird things like home invasions or what if, like, yeah, totally. this we- happened? Like, would we be able to sustain ourselves or do I have enough canned food? We have like- <laughs> quite a, a secure building apartment. So when walking, uh, watching The Walking Dead, which I was a little bit obsessed with for a little while, and, and you start to sum up your house and like go, okay, so, all right, if they come through that way, then we've got this way. <laughs> and then I think like just subconsciously, I started hoarding more food. So we have like, we've got enough to feed people for like two years. So <laughs> yeah. so if you get stuck, come over our house. It's safe. It's secure. We got you good You might not food. want to say that. Everyone's going to sh- show up at your house now. <laughs> and we got Pomeranian as well. Exactly. So, you know. <laughs> With a mascot. What canned food? You, is it canned food? Oh, yeah. We've, we've just... Uh, I, I actually am very passionate about cooking. So, we uh, just buy way too much food because I think that I'm going to cook, you know, crazy things and then I find that I don't have enough time. But we keep on buying stuff. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. it's just... Uh, we, need a, we need another house just to store all the food <laughs> and cooking utensils. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a failed MasterChef f- uh, first season, so, you know, pretty, pretty oh, high. Okay. As, as long uh, as you can cook for yourself, <laughs> I think that's like... So I'm, really I'm the same thing. boat. You know, I, I love cooking. I'd love to you know, spend more time do, with home-cooked meals, but running out of time, like, you know, you get back from work, and you're like, oh, yeah, I've got to cook. It's just, oh, it's good. Yeah. You have something cheap. There's a fine art to it, like, pre, like pre-preparing yeah. and things like that, but you need to really be on time with like, your um, time The other day management. I made I, my half-assed pasta with the cheese sauce. Yeah. Like actually all cooked up in that, but usually I'll put, you know, a bit of, bit of chopped bacon in there, some chicken in there. I just, nah, screw it, just pasta and cheese sauce, just half up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, probably a little bit more obsessive than that. So I have a series of dinner parties where uh, people basically bring um, one or two ingredients, depending on how many people we have. Mm. And it's like a mystery box challenge. And so most people, I, I guess, would, would stress about having a dinner party at the best of time in that pre-preparation. But I prefer not to have that stress in my life at, you know, beforehand. I'll just stress when I'm in the moment. And, uh, and so, you know, we'll have like, we'll cook for 14, 15 people or whatever, um, with ingredients completely from them. And I'll cook, you know, maybe five or six courses and make a degustation kind of style thing. So, yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, right. Yeah, I'm, I'm fairly Damn. into it. <laughs> Chef Aaron Wilson. Chef Aaron. <laughs> Watch out for his book. It, it is a dream to, to open up a like a cafe bar kind of thing. So, That's awesome. Yeah. Mm. Mm. You know, speaking of being creative, it's just another form of expression after a while. You yeah, know. absolutely. I, I mean, I'm not a musician, so I, that's kind of why I... I got into journalism and, and, you know, managing bands and, and PR and that kind of thing because I wanted to promote the actually talented people. And, and you know, maybe I uh, – so talking about I was um, picked in, you know, um, they sort of identify people with, with musical abilities or whatever and they chose me for the trumpet – and my parents would not let me play the trumpet. So I, I never learned an instrument. And then it just seemed like too much time to be invested because it's a lot of time for generally no payoff, you know, or little payoff, unless you're doing it obviously for pleasure and, and happiness. But it's really tough to make it as a band. And I think I got really 
really frustrated with seeing so many talented people and and you know that that make me feel stupid um but not using their talents to for for better you know they're just like they kind of there's that typical dream to be a successful artist you know like oh, i want to like that's my dream that's this is my passion i want to i want to be a musician forever and you know get lots of money for it but then they don't actually promote themselves so many artists in perth and you know you can't wait for stuff to come to you you have to be you have to be active and and take um yeah take affirmative action and and chase your dreams rather than hoping that someone will see your yeah. band in a in a pub and suddenly you're signed to a label and making the mega bucks and touring with spandex it's me- me- mega bucks is, there, is that a term in music <laughs> <laughs> not, not one that's used very often yeah, yeah. or any bucks at yeah. all for that matter i think i think tame impala are maybe the only ones that can use that uh, <laughs> It's a really expensive business if you're if you're not going to go about it the right way. And I remember um, so when I was the editor of of Drum Media, um, which then became the music and is now defunct in this weird world of uh, strip press and digital technologies. But um, <laughs> I but used anyway, to love Drum Media. Yeah, like I it was love Drum Media. Uh, cheers. Mm. It was um, yeah, it was it was awesome fun and and but so often like we uh, so so we you know our motto was just supporting bands because. The theory was that, you know, if we support it, apart from the fact that we just wanted to do it, but on an economic level, if we supported those smaller bands and, you know, they're doing a single launch or whatever it was, um, we would always give them promo. We'd always give them coverage. And the idea was, of course, that then when they actually do make it, that that they would remember that and that they would have formed, a, a you know, um, a relationship with you and that they'd, they'd start um, giving money and... And it was just it was just frustrating because we had this platform that was completely free for bands to to use, and instead, you know, you'd be like chasing stuff up off Facebook for launches and stuff, yeah. and you're like, yeah, why would yeah. you put all that time into mm. you know, like if you think about how many hours you put into rehearsing for your band, how many hours um, getting to rehearsals, getting to gigs, practicing in your own time actually recording all the money that goes into it it is a massive investment of of not even so much money but but time you know it's time that you could be doing a million other things mm. and, and then you don't get that to, time back either no and then it's, to do that and to not actually make a song and a dance about it and to you know sing about what you're doing and you know i'd see it time and time again where these bands like bands that i really like their music but outside of their same 50 mates that went to their gigs, you know, um, every time they had something to launch. They just weren't expanding. And mm. and I just found that so frustrating. And I think I think um it, it's a general artist mindset of, you know, I just want to create music, man. Yeah. I just wanna <laughs> yeah. I just wanna that's that's my dream. I just wanna make music and play in front of audiences mm. and stuff. But if that's your dream then then you know, and and if you're not someone that is into promoting that because you know a lot of artists are, are really humble as well. Um, and so if you're not someone that like is out there going, Hey, this is my band, you know, this is what it is, then get someone that can do that for you. So whether it's a publicist or, or a manager or whatever, because otherwise there's just such a small chance that you're going to actually achieve your dream. Mm. Mm. The, the hidden word in music is business. Yeah, for sure. That's what it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't look a lot, you know, music is music. Oh, you know, sit at home, play music and all that. But the business side is, you know, just as important as playing the music. That's it. You you need to treat it as you would a normal job because otherwise you you're gonna be yeah looking at it. Uh, you know they talk about 
um, the stats that come out with artists in and suicide and mental mm-hmm. health problems. And it's it's one of the the professions, if we can call it that, that is um, you know one of the highest rates of of issues in those regards. And the problem, I think, is because so many. So, I mean, you know, you do invest all of that stuff and it becomes something that you you very passionately are invested in. And then these artists get out and, you know, they've been doing it for 15 years and they're like, well, fuck, I'm, I'm not getting anywhere. I'm, I'm not, you know, going to be the next Tame Impala or whatever have you. And so they quit. But because they've they've invested all that time in it, they feel really disappointed. They feel they feel um, cheated by the system, you know, all that mm-hmm. kind of negative things. And they haven't got necessarily skills that they can actually translate into another job. Like, yeah, they get very disconnected from... Yeah, there's a detachment from that reality that you actually do a nine, need... A nine-to-five type Well, you job. need a skill set. <laughs> Man, I've run into bands that can't even write an invoice. Like, they don't even hit you up. Like, it's like you have to chase them up. It's like, do you want your money? And, like, and that's it. <laughs> do you I not want to get paid? <laughs> I think all bands, as a general rule, shouldn't like have that dream of getting a manager like straight up. I mean, mm-hmm. don't even necessarily need one, but um, but you should actually be working on that stuff. You know, working on writing press releases or working on um, uh, like invoices and and mm. coming up with budgets and things like that because they are transferable life skills into into other jobs, whereas. A lot of artists they just they just don't engage in that, you know. Mm-hmm. Like um, you see so many bands that there's there's kind of like one person that takes control of that, and that's a real uh, a real lost opportunity, I think, for mm-hmm. people in the band to kind of take some ownership and, and learn from it. Again, everything for me, <clears throat> sorry, should be some kind of a learning experience. I should have learned not to drink and yell so much last night, so I didn't have a croaky <laughs> voice. But I'm still learning. I'm a slow learner in that regard. That's <laughs> all sex, drugs, and rock and roll, man. It's all about. It really pays when, if you're going to run a gig, that everything is running smoothly. I know that seems like a no-brainer, mm. but you'd be surprised at the amount of gigs that I played that People are like, I don't, I don't know, man, go see that guy. Uh, I don't know if the drum kits, I don't know what time it's coming. Like Things like that. But uh, you really do remember those gigs that aren't like that as well, that really run smoothly. Like In the Pines, I don't know how that runs, but it just fucking works. <laughs> how does it work? You know, it should not work on paper, but it fucking works. The, the reason it works is because they rely on volunteers. Mm. And I think something that a lot of bands could take more advantage of is that there's people that want to help out. They, they actually want to learn. So, for instance, if you're a band and, you know, you want to um, get together and have meetings, maybe get an intern from Approach uh, North Metro TAFE for their music business students because mm. there's a heap of people there that, that want to learn and, and want that first-hand experience. Yeah. We so, came out of uh, the diploma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. Scott Adam. So. Yeah, cool. Legend. Yeah, yeah. I think we were the guinea pigs because <laughs> yeah. uh, we, uh, it was a very new course yeah, at the time. Days, yeah. yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. But we, I think um, more just the, the networking and kind of the people that genuinely were into it and passionate, they naturally came out of that mm. with, with you know a lot of tangible skills, I think. That was a really important course, but it's good to see it's still going. Yeah, they've had a, a few issues with numbers over the last couple of years mm. and, and trying to work out what they're going to do, I guess. And it's such a shame because it is it is a great course, but I because I've um taught that as well, um filled in cool. for a bit as well. And um and and it was just interesting, you know, like you you're sort of up the front and front of because I was used to used to teaching um uni and community courses where the, you know they're they're paying a lot of money to do it or whatever and, and so they're just 
a little bit more motivated. Um, but but some of the students, you just know instantly. You, you look at them, and it's the ones with their computers out. It's the ones that are actually looking at you and and trying to engage. It's the ones that are asking questions. But then you know, there's a bunch of students in there as well, as with any courses, I guess. But but you just know that unfortunately they're not going to make it. Like yeah. like they because they're not making an effort, you know. And and you yeah. need to make an effort in whatever you do if you want to yeah. be the best at it. And that's the only way to approach anything, mm. I think. I think uh, a lot of people saw the just the word music and thought, yeah, I'm like, yeah. I like music. I'll, yeah. I'll yeah, yeah, that. totally. <laughs> not, yeah. not realizing, well, this is actually a, a business course. You're essentially learning how to write proposal, proposals, work with budgets, all that sort of stuff. And you kind of, they, they tend to flake and then you just don't see them mm. after a while, which is unfortunate. But It is, yeah. Um, but yeah, very important course i think i think they're doing a a thing where they uh run kind of a little radio station boom radio yeah boom radio mm. i think that's really really cool that, yeah um, absolutely you know it's not only about the playing but it's there's a very important media component to this industry the marketing and stuff like yeah. yeah or simply we, we just need people just producing content yeah you know i think that's really important as well in this day and age is, is to just put out content even if you feel like, okay, maybe I'm not that great at XYZ, maybe I can write or blog about this. And they, and that's a very important part to the whole industry as well. Um, yeah, for sure. They they do a great job of actually creating their own little, like, music uh, cosmos there. Yeah. In you know, you've, you've got, like, they've got a media set up, they've got bands that, you know, you can do the live thing, and they all kind of work together where, you know, they've got the the music business students writing the press releases for the people doing the live um, music course, which then get played on the radio. So, yeah, it's a it's a really great what they're doing, and um, I hope it continues to get bigger and better because, you know, music isn't going anywhere. Obviously, it's, um, I guess, always popular. And, yeah. and yeah. The, the business side of it, though, is something that's changing really rapidly, and it's becoming, you know... It's becoming, I wouldn't say it's more difficult to, to make a living in the music industry these days. It's just changing and, and you have to change your approach to it. I think people yeah, do. Yeah. And do you think like Perth has to work harder than say the Eastern States? Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you didn't ask. What do you think it is about <laughs> Perth that makes us you know, sad? Because like uh, the, the whole something in the water deal, like I, I guess there is something to Perth people are having to be forced to work a little bit harder because it's quite difficult to to crack the east coast you know there's um and sorry to melbourne and sydney and brisbane people um sorry to east coast people but you're wankers um <laughs> no 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 <laughs> hashtag edit west that, is that. best yeah. <laughs> uh no but i mean the, the the problem with it is that that no, I'm not. I'm not digging a hole that I haven't dug before. Um, <laughs> the problem with it is that the the best kind of contact and the way of communicating with people is in person. So immediately you've got that that block, you know, that physical block between the east and west coast. And they, it's it's you know, you approach. Um, so in my role as a publicist, um, I was when I first started off, I was just having a lot of trouble trying to get responses from anyone on the east coast and it's one of those things that you know like once i started to go to big sound and and those kind of places and you meet them suddenly it's a completely different ball game but of course you've got to invest in that you know it's it's money to fly over east and and kind of have those uh there's something to be said over the the best meetings are at 2am on you know on a venue dance floor or, or whatever it is uh yeah, yeah. there's a couple, couple of beers and just chilling yeah <laughs> yeah um 
and and it's just obviously difficult to do that. So I think we there's there's maybe a case of we do have to try and work harder to 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 get noticed by those guys. Um, and you know things like um, for instance the the WAMCon or the um, WA Music Conference at, that we do via WAM. Um, it sometimes disappoints me when, you know, like, so it's been growing and it's been amazing the last couple of years, I think. Um, obviously biased, but from the feedback we've got, um, it's kind of shared. And, and I feel really happy in the direction that it's going, but it's it's also tough not to feel kind of disappointed sometimes when, when you look at the room and there's, you know, maybe I think we had like 150 tickets sold last year, um, which is which is good. It's, you know, getting better and all that kind of stuff but it's still like you kind of think but there's like a thousand bands in Perth or whatever yeah. and there's you know there's um there's there's heaps of producers and there's lots of managers and all that kind of jazz and you know they're not spending I think it's like $150 or whatever to meet people from the east coast rather you know like you'd have to catch a plane over or go to Big Sound or whatever it's you know $2,000 and and um and it's just a little disheartening sometimes because it's going back to what I was talking about. Oh, sorry, I sound like really whingy or something. But I, I just I just <laughs> hope maybe that someone hears this and and tries to well, it's make more of an effort. You it's, know, it's like, true. Um, like it's always disheartening when you when there's a speaker and then there's maybe the room's maybe a quarter full at best, mm. and there's all this valuable information that that's there to be learned. Um. But I think that there might even be a, a thing with ego and bands as well. I was going to say a bit of mm. arrogance. Kind well, of it's like, like well, I, I don't want to go to that. Like, yeah, I, I don't want to stoop down to that learning level. Like mm. I should have my mm. shit to get. But man, once you ask questions, you'd be surprised at the amount of people that will actually say yes to helping you. Or if they don't know, they'll forward you to someone that does know. It's something that I, even I had to learn slowly throughout you know, 10, 15 years of being in bands. It's like no one's going to hand you shit. In this mm. industry, at all, you've got to like. They might, but it. it will be shit. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I do. I do share your frustration when people just don't get back to you. Also, just venues are run differently there. Mm. Like they don't really have an in-house guy. That you have to kind of pay for your own sound engineer for the night. You're kind of just another straw in the haystack. It is interesting that point. I mean, um, with Kuchka, when I was trying to kind of break her on the east coast and. And it was, you know, a fairly slow process at first, but then we got some Triple J unearthed play. And it was just interesting to see see everyone come out of the woodwork after that because suddenly, you know, you're getting... um. So, it actually, sorry, it wasn't so much the Triple J unearthed, but it got added onto rotation on Triple J. And, and suddenly you're getting messages from everybody. And, you know, it, like suddenly the PR thing has gone the reverse where you're not trying to chase, but you're being chased kind of thing. Mm. And, um, but to get to that point, um, that required a, a lot of effort. You know, there was, um, a lot of no's and a lot of closed doors and, a, and, um, and, and that's the thing. It was the same song like that was heard by other people, but it was only when someone else did it that mm. they're like, oh shit, I better pay attention. And I guess that's just human nature. People are, People were followers. Yeah. Um, or do you think? So. Do you think that, that that Triple J just has that kind of okay? Once it's on there, they've obviously gone through the right amount of hoops to get there. Okay, so now maybe they mean business. Now we'll hit them up. Like it seems like Triple J is still kind of the, the gatekeeper for a lot of to, to break a lot of acts. Like it, it, still, it still seems that they very much are the tastemakers for for kind of what's cool. Um, Absolutely, and and it's um it's just difficult when there is. 
I think the, there's been a lot of negativity in the, the last couple of years about it, um, particularly, I guess, with, you know, a couple of outspoken WA artists have, have <laughs> said some stuff about Triple J, which is basically like putting an axe on your career, if you speak. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, <laughs> and, you know, um, so you, you have to be careful, but, like, from just a uncareful perspective, I'll just speak speak my mind or whatever, but um, I, there's definitely a lot of positives and negatives in the Triple J situation, and... The, the positive, of course, is because they do have that power to completely break an artist and take their career to a completely different level. Mm-hmm. On the negative, any situation where there is no real competition, um, so there's not like a competing Triple J, you know, they have a massive national audience and they they fit that, um, you know, 15 to, to sort of 30 demographic and they just nail it. And there's no one else that's close to that. So whenever you've got um, a a monopoly i guess then it's a dangerous situation because if triple j aren't liking it then where do you go you know um, yeah you yep. can try the community radio thing but it's it's um it's obviously very very important but it's just harder work yeah i mean i i think um i think people uh like the triple j sound and all that kind of those arguments out there it's bullshit they play all kinds of different genres um yeah. But it's definitely different, but, different climates of, yeah. of different, uh, I guess, phases that they they, they they kind of dwell on. But that's to be expected and that's, from any. That's trends. Like yeah. that's the thing. They're they're reacting to what's trendy at the time. And yes, they help probably create those trends. But if you look internationally as well, it's pretty much the same thing. It's yeah. not like mm-hmm. psychedelic music was invented by Tim Tim and Paula, and yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. and then the world followed suit. It was it was happening all around the world. It's a uh, it's like that um, osmosis uh, theory. I can't remember who who came up with it, but um, basically, when when there's been a lot of research into uh, new new discoveries, so in the science community, and when someone discovers something, research dictates that generally about two days, I think, on average, after that is discovered, someone else discovers it without having any knowledge of mm-hmm. of that initial discovery. Not that this is like a, a all the time thing, but it's just astonishing how often that happens, and it's kind of that collective world consciousness. I don't yeah, want to get all yeah. hippie on this. It's a <laughs> oh, please it's do. A, yeah. take my shoes off and um, and get, the spandex the, off. Get the djembe out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's my dreads talking. Um, but but I, I just find that fascinating. That well, they found that, that kind monkeys. Of, yeah, that monkeys. Uh, you know that that aren't even in in the vicinity of other monkeys will learn certain the use of certain tools or start developing these behaviours with no connection. So maybe maybe there is something in the DNA that is, uh, is unfolding at, at the same rate. Or yeah. Quantum entanglement. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go deep. <laughs> right, right here. And, uh, and I don't know how this, this conversation went on this tangent, but, but to bring it well, back man. to Triple J, you know, it's like, like they're responding to stuff globally as well. So yeah. um, obviously there are, you know, some Australian sounds or some sounds that are more popular here than than elsewhere but you know it's a stupid idea to try and create a band with a triple j sound to make it because yeah. uh, well for starters there are other ways to make it and you know um as an artist you should just be trying to create music that that connects with you and comes from you and that you're passionate about and that is the best way i think to to make it because you know it's it's you're not molding it into something because you know you can do that but um and you might achieve a lot of success but five years down the track you're gonna hate what you're doing probably because mm-hmm. you're going to be playing shit that you don't even like and 
you know, yeah. it's got to be like it just becomes a job then, um, rather than a passion. Yeah. So mm. you start you start writing music that's hip now because it you know it's all good, and then you know well, down not, the track it yeah. just doesn't become cool anymore. It's not sustainable. Yeah. You start with that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you can't sustain that because then you're just chasing what's hot. But um, yeah, I mean, are you are you a double J listener at all? A little bit. Um, I listen to probably Triple J unearthed more. Um, mm-hmm. I just guess uh, I like so I I love nostalgia i guess um so the the double j is definitely like my my kind of generation but i also like to keep my finger on the pulse for um wanky descriptions um <laughs> i guess you know like i, I like to see what's happening and yeah, yeah i mean I, I expect that when i'm 60 years old i'm still going to be listening to uh what the young kids are listening to <laughs> and everyone yeah. will think i'm an idiot uh hipster try hard grandpa who uh, <laughs> is actually just really disconnected but <laughs> hey i'll uh, i'll live that dream if i can uh which uh song was it by by kuchka that, that really got on high rotation was it uh, i was unconditional. unconditional yeah that's one so. of my favorite tracks by her yeah yeah cool really really cool mm. um but she's where, where's she now south by southwest yeah, yeah, she's just finished South by. Um, so, yeah, I mean, she's. I can't wait to hear some new material. So, I, I did stop managing her. Mm-hmm. Um, was it about a year and a half ago, I think? And um, and since then, she hasn't released any new material. So, I'm. Uh, yeah, I mean, she's been touring with Flume, with basically, Flume, yeah, yeah. around the world and doing amazing things on that spectrum. So, yeah, I'm curious to hear the new stuff. And no doubt, I mean, she's been really quiet. So, it seems like she's disappeared. But. Um, I no doubt she's going to blow up. No, she's so. definitely, yeah, working hard. Yeah. I, I follow her on Facebook and, yeah, it's just the crowd she's playing to are yeah. insane. Wild, yeah. Insane. I mean, Flume's just, uh, <laughs> he's, he's just ridiculously big around the world, you know. It's um like like him and Tame Impala, you would have to say, uh, some of the, the biggest artists in the world at the moment, which is yeah. um, pretty awesome, I mm. think, uh, because they're both, they're both artists that that aren't, uh, giving in to, you know, playing like that, they're doing their own thing and they're they're making stuff that is original, unique, and not following trends. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of only gauge like really fully understood how big Tame Impala were when we went um, for a trip um, to a couple of places around the world and and like they were playing it just everywhere like you know you'd, you'd literally go from cafe to a bar and you'd hear it within the space of an hour at two different <laughs> venues you know it was yeah. like jesus christ these guys are raking in the royalties on this <laughs> <laughs> it's, um... recorded at the hen house rehearsal studios it's the mission control podcast two years ago i um or a year and a half ago i got uh king hit by by someone that i didn't know um yeah. And had never met them before, apart from in a kebab shop where they were just death staring at me, went out and they, one came from in front of me. And then that's the last thing I remember because someone hit me in the back of the head. Mm. And anyway, I came out of that and, um, yeah, you know, I was in, in hospital and had uh, a few issues out of it. But a couple of days afterwards, rather than, you know, like complaining about it and stuff, I wrote a piece about it and, you know, like it was, it was kind of like a positive piece mm. about from, from the experience and, and, you know, what, yeah. Uh, and, and that piece was, it was in the music and your daily spar and it had, um, over a, a thousand likes and shares of that piece. Plus on my own personal walls, it had about another thousand or something out of that. And, you know, like I put it with a stupid 
funny picture of me like with a thumbs up and you know a bit of a mess of a face and stuff and you know like taking that positive approach i I feel like i actually made more of an impact and and help prevent people because there was this thing going around at the time of like oh perth's more dangerous and it's like you know Mm. like on the streets and stuff and it's like you know i I didn't want those kind of negative connotations of Mm. um and, and particularly you know like live music and and events and things like that where i've like hardly ever see violence at whereas you know this was like on a street with youths that were bought um as opposed to you know and there's there's deep social um problems that were associated with that and that was the problem that i wanted to get across that you know we need to fix these because it's not their fault necessarily that they punched me in the head but it's you know the the problems that um, you know, their upbringing in the world that we've shaped and we've got to take responsibility for that. And, you know, those kind of messages reached a much greater audience than um, I would have if I just wrote a fucking piece about me whinging and, and poor me or whatever, yeah, you know. It's, um, yeah. Or, or, you know, like a, a, an aggressive post, like if you find these guys and, you ex- know. Exactly, yeah. Like if, if that really uh, helps heal the, the deep-seated issue of people that are unfulfilled that are on the street, mm. that they're hitting people because they're frustrated at their life. Yeah, much. yeah. Um, but that's pretty much alchemy, what you did. You managed to transmute a situation that was really negative and instead flip it into a positive situation. Um, so that's that's something I really highly respected when, when I read that article. Oh, so thanks. It thanks, was really thanks. good because it could have gone another way. It could have been a really... Cynical. We could have had a negative. right on our hands. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could have taken a really negative stance on it, you know. Um, and like you said, I think it's really important uh, the lens we choose to put over this reality. And I think when media influences that and says the sky is falling, Northbridge is mm. a hellhole, this and that, it mm. kind of, in a weird way, perpetrates that way of thinking. Completely. So maybe well, that does it, more harm than good. Too. It yeah, comes yeah. back to educating and understanding. And mm. getting people to know, you know, what the situation is and what's happening and how to actually go about it in a better way mm. rather than, you know, yeah, complaining about it. Mm. Mm. People but just need to just smile more, you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> like so we don't live tragic lives. Like, just laugh, laugh. You know, something mm. happens to you. Have a laugh about it. Pick yourself up and learn yeah. from it. And, you know, things are always going to get better. So, um, yeah, there might be shit for a little while and mm. stuff, but... If you, it's an easy thing to get into negative, negative mentalities, and and you know, like um, I, I, what what happens to you though should make you stronger if you approach it the right way. I mean, I've had a had a crazy life. I guess my mom was um, a, a heroin addict, and when I was growing up, I I basically had to look after my my mom and my sister and and stuff when I was studying for TA, and you know, like and and I could have looked at that, you know. We saw her OD and she was clinically dead and, you know, went through some pretty heavy stuff, come back home, find a syringe in her arm and for that kind of stuff to, to happen, you know, it would have been very easy for someone potentially to look at it really negatively and then that person, I would place a pretty high bet on they would have gone down a similar path of like, you know, feeling so negative and then thinking that they've got to take heroin to relieve themselves mm. of that problem. It's a classic case. It happens all the time, but if you look at things like that positively and, and learn from it, you know, I, I learn a lot about responsibility and caring and, um, you know, and it, it definitely shaped the way that the person that I am. So, you know, like it's like my mum tries to apologise or tried to apologise to me and, you know, I'm so sorry about what I did to you. And I'm like, I actually wouldn't have it any other way because I wouldn't be the person that I am these days. So I think 
yeah, just having a positive outlook on life is is um, the greatest weapon or asset you can have. Mm. And, um, yeah, having a fun, fulfilled life. Yeah, mm. definitely. Um, and I can see how addiction is such a complex issue because it's really not... I don't think the the, the criminal or the justice system should have any part, really, <coughs> in dealing with people that are addicted or, or using. I think it really should be a health issue, but... Um, I don't know if that's too idealistic, but I think there's ways around it. I don't think people are rehabilitated when they're put in drugs, put in drugs for using prison, <laughs> put in prison for using drugs. I've obviously used too much drugs myself, but, um, but I, I don't think people change. No, when, I, when, when you stick them in the in jail for using a substance because they're fundamentally broken inside. That's, yeah. that's really what... You're probably worse off putting them in prison because I heard prisons can you know, get just as much on the inside as I can well, on the outside. Well, that's Yeah. And you look at a lot of the countries or um, cities that have legalized, um, or, or sorry, not legalized, but decriminalized yeah, yeah, drugs. Yeah. Um, they have much lower drug um, issues, so violence and things that are related to drugs and drug uh, addiction as well. So, and you know that might not be the case everywhere, but but it's it's definitely where we're taking the wrong approach. I feel to. Mm. It's to just drugs outdated. And, it's yeah. really outdated. But I mm. think WA has the highest. Ice usage in the in the whole of Australia, yeah, I think. Um, I don't know they why. Make it look that way, at least. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that is. Is it just produced more here? But that, that's another interesting question because I, I just heard on Triple J on the way here that you know WA is really struggling with an ice epidemic at the moment. Mm. But what is really leading people to use it? Well, is, is the, I th- the deeper question. Um, I don't agree with this theory at the moment because I think there's more to do in. Perth than ever before. I think we've really come of our, our own as a city in the last couple of years. Um, well, actually, probably, probably you know, going further back than that. But in terms of uh, you know having great cultural scenes, I think there's there's a lot of things going on in in Perth at the moment. But um, you know, there probably wasn't um, five ten years ago. So a lot of these people, when you when you give stuff to people, stuff to do, then they don't. They're, they're less inclined to take mm. drugs, you know, because they don't need an outlet or an escape from um, from reality, I guess. You know, they've got something to, to make them happy. And that's what people are generally taking drugs is is to make them happy, whether that be forgetting about their real-life problems or whether they're just bored as shit and mm. they want that, um, that, that, self, that rush, that you know. medication almost. Yeah. You know? yeah. And, and so I think, um, you know, taking, <clears throat> taking that... Um, but plus combined with uh, the whole mining thing, I think it has had a really yeah. big effect. I was going to say that, actually. Yeah, I've got a lot of friends that are, once they hit the mine, like uh, high school friends, yeah. um, that the whole mining lifestyle really just changed them inside out. Mm. The um, the isolation, I think. And plus, you know, when you're kind of young and you've got a pocket full of money, it's like, what else do you do? You buy cars and you buy drugs. I would have probably done the same if I had that much <laughs> money, but... Um, I think, but, you know, the other common thread was that those people came from pretty rough upbringings as mm. well as another, so that, that adds that predisposition to that, yep. that sort of that lifestyle is because they had bad leadership in their life. So, um, yeah, so many factors that go into to addiction. And that's it, and, and it's not like um, we can talk about this in, in a way that, like, yes, it is definitely this or whatever. Mm. You know, there's, there's many, many reasons, um, and, you know, you can put someone in, 
the most interesting place on earth filled with happy situations and all that kind of stuff and they still end up becoming a drug addict but the way that we treat them in society needs to be changed because um you know you keep on treating them like criminals and they start taking on other criminal behaviors and stealing and you know mm. to fund their their habits and all yeah. that and it's just a self-perpetuating uh, problem mm. so and of course you empower the black market in a way um i know that's a bit of a generalization but the whole reason why a lot of this is happening is because uh well, for starters, you don't know what you're getting now as well when you buy it. Because it's where where is this black so. market? Um, like, it's on the dark web. Like how can I get a rocket launcher? <laughs> like <laughs> The dark web. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, if you look at America, I mean, and Mexico, like a lot of the deaths that have people are dying and shooting each other over marijuana in Mexico. Mm. It's like, can we just... Yeah. Because there's a higher... People are willing to pay more... There's a higher premium on it because of its illegality. So the fact that it's illegal is actually inflating the price mm. and getting people are losing their lives over just bags of weed. It's like, really? Yeah, it's, it's, it's plus, just crazy, isn't it? Pl- plus with the, the whole economical situation, yeah. they're willing to do that because that's the only way they're going to pay for food. And, and so, yet more people die from alcohol-related violence or mm. um, you know, liver failure and all that kind of stuff um mm. more people die from that than drugs so yeah. it's like wh- why why is that legal though and you can get smashed and and the thing with um perth i think as well is like our our culture has a very i think uh we're we're kind of, kind of full-on i guess um even though people are like oh west australians are so relaxed and all that kind of stuff when it comes to drug taking and like alcohol um drinking I, and i'm definitely the same like i binge drink Maximally, you know, like last uh, night, <laughs> <I> know, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I can hardly preach from a, uh, a pedestal. Yeah, um, can I do. It's I, all good. I'm from the gutter man on this combo, but uh, <laughs> but you know, it's like like the the whole going out just for a couple of drinks at at a at a bar or whatever. That culture is only starting to change, I think, in WA now, and and all these small bars are, are kind of helping that. Mm. Um, happen whereas before it was kind of like well if you're going to go out then you're going to drink a shite ton before you go out because prices are so expensive mm. and then you're going to go out for as long as possible and that was the mindset far more with with Perth people than I think um, in you know Melbourne and Sydney where where there's a lot of things to do every day of the week mm. you don't have to feel like it's a big event going out you know on a weekend um, but I, I think again back to the city becoming more vibrant and um, and I shouldn't just say the city. I mean, you know, when I speak about that, I mean, like, same thing in Frio and Mount Lawley and yeah. so forth. You know, there's lots of little pockets opening up that are that are providing reasons for people to, to kind of find enjoyment and pleasure in life and not not be so full on. Having said that, I'm going to smash it up next week. And- <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Are, you, are, you a beer, are you a beer guy? Uh, uh, I'll drink, drink anything really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I like my martini with uh, heroin, um, please. No, 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 de- definitely not. Uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely, definitely drank probably. In the last couple of years, I've actually minimized my drinking a lot. And, um, and uh, I guess that's just about... Um, yeah, probably probably having more to do. You know, I know if I feel kind of bad on, on Sunday, I'm not going to be able to do as many things. And then um, I know that there's something to do on a Tuesday or whatever, so I want to be prepped for that. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, 
I guess I guess everything in in balance. So I I hit it pretty hard in terms of work, and I used to hit it pretty hard with drinking as well. But I've learned to minimize that um, so that I can have just a more balanced life. I guess. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, we're all just having said old. that. I'm failing all the time. <laughs> yeah. It's getting too old. Our bodies can't handle it anymore. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. My my body is. I, I don't know what's wrong with my body, but I still can pretty much out drink anyone I know. And then, yes, that is a challenge. Like it's like my interns are like, "What did you What did you do on the weekend?" And I feel embarrassed because they've done nothing, and I'm like, "Oh, I went to you know about seven different venues on Saturday night. Finished at five a.m. and I'm like." Like, how old am I? I think I still think I'm 18 years old. But I was just a bit of obsessive personality, I think. And I just like 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 You've, to do stuff. Build up the tolerance. <laughs> oh, yeah. and, and tolerance as well. Yeah, yeah. I've probably got no more brain cells to kill. So that probably helps as well. <laughs> and my liver's like a transplanted one or something probably. Yeah. Well, some people are just, man, they, they just stay in that pocket, man. Where yeah. they, they just, but I'm definitely now like a, a two pint. I think two pints like gets me pretty tipsy. Now. Yeah, right. Mm, wow. Yeah. But I'm, then again, I'm... I've got the body of like a twelve-year-old Asian girl. So, so have I. <laughs> no, there's yeah. the, I. I can still power through, you know, a couple of pints and stuff. Yeah. Where was I? Um. Oh, what's that? Uh, Joe's juice. Oh yeah, oh, oh. Joe's juice bar. Yeah, yeah, the one that stays open till like four a.m. I get pretty ratchet and just in there though. Pints and pints, and then the the whiskey sours knock a couple of them back, and then another few pints. Yeah, I've had some rowdy nights. There. It's just so expensive, dude. <laughs> yeah, it is. I just don't have the like. Uh, that's why, like, like you're saying, you know, that one block where you make it a big event because everyone probably gets that bit where they get paid and they got a good chunk up. Now make it worth and you know go out and have a big night. Well, you make them count. Yeah, yeah. You're not yeah. just yeah, yeah. But yeah. one thing you sort of notice about um, when I've been overseas and and you sort of party with people over there and and you know they they drink similarly, I guess, in terms of how I like to drink, which is kind of consistent. I like, I, like, I wouldn't drink a cocktail, for instance, unless it's earlier on in the night and I'm trying to reach that point because it just, it just screws you up. And, you know, you go out with people there and, like, I was having amazing conversations with people at, like, you know, 9 a.m. the next the next day of, like, we'd, you know, just parting through after, after a couple of days of parting straight, actually. But, you know, you're, you're connecting with people, like, actually in quite real ways. And, it, you know, you could listen to this and go, oh, yeah, it's just, like, that's total drug talk or whatever. But, but no, like, it's just that um, a lot of the people we met there seem to not be so full on with their the way that they approach drinking and, and probably other things um, were involved, I guess. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are the mind <laughs> Not <substance>. me. <laughs> <laughs> Never. Um, but yeah, I mean, some people just have the the stamina for it, man. Mm. Like, but I guess you've been put, putting in the practice, so <laughs> you've been. Look, if you if you're given the, uh, <laughs> the I don't know, yeah, the ability to do it, might as well use it. Oh fuck yeah, <laughs> yeah. I had two uh, two little nips of Jack Daniels last night, and uh, I was pretty much done yeah right that was enough for me yeah <laughs> but i think um yeah i think asians have a have a harder time metabolizing alcohol i think it's not really have you heard about that they're, before? They're, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have heard um some of the physiological reasons yeah, yeah i for think it, yeah. Uh, something to do with enzymes <clears throat> and, and not being able to process it but you know well certain types of rice based ones <clears throat> are fine but i think the really wheaty beers I, I think make me go to the toilet but i've spoken about this way too Often though, right. <laughs> <laughs> always, always my favorite conversation: drinking wheat beer and going to the toilet, <laughs> <laughs> and runny shits. Oh uh, my god! 
Uh, Aram, thanks so much for coming yeah, down. Yeah, on that man. shit note. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love uh, ending on the shit. Yeah, yeah, also shout out to the Hen House again, uh, Rob, for letting us have this uh, amazing space. This is an awesome place. It's um, the first yeah. time I've been here. First time here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, it, it, We've had a lot of new people, uh, a lot of guests. This is their first time at the Hent House. But, mm. yeah, it's an awesome space. Like, you, I feel like it can be more, like, you can do a lot more than you think here. Like, it, it can be an awesome, um, I don't know, have a little Community. talk show in here. Yeah. Well, we Literally. haven't been wearing any pants um, after we took the spandex open. No. So, you can definitely do a lot more <laughs> in here. <laughs> oh, was that you touching me under the table? Was that your foot? <laughs> no. <laughs> But uh, definitely thanks to Rob uh, at the Hen House for letting us have this space. Um, and hopefully, yeah, hopefully it's not the last time that we have a chat. That yeah, was awesome I chat, really appreciate having having us on. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. Recorded at the Hen House Rehearsal Studios. It's the Mission Control Podcast.